Industrial Security Podcast with Andrew Ginter and Nate Nelson. Sponsored by Waterfall Security Solutions. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm here with Andrew Ginter, the Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. Andrew is going to introduce the guest and the subject of today's show. Andrew, how are you? I'm okay, Nate. Um, you know, my listeners may detect I'm, I'm getting over a cold, so my apologies for my voice quality. A cold to say the least. Yeah, it's been with me for a few weeks, so... Um, our guest today is Robert Pitcher. Robert is the manager of cyber partnerships within the Critical Infrastructure Directorate at Public Safety Canada. He's going to be talking to us about uh, Canadian in- initiatives for industrial cybersecurity in his directorate. So, Robert, thank you for joining us. Uh, can we start with uh, who is uh, Public Safety Canada? What what what's the big picture that you folks fit into? Andrew, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, Certainly, I can, um, we can start with that. You know, if you go to a high level, um, and keeping it simple, public safety's mandate is to basically keep Canadians safe from harm. So uh, this comes in a number of formats. Again, the threat landscape is, is certainly large. Uh, we look at a lot of things such as natural disaster, terrorism, crime. Uh, all of it falls into our arcs of fire. Um, but, you know, it goes without saying that you can't talk about any of these threats without talking about the need for cybersecurity. Uh, we have a number of responsibilities. Uh, first and foremost, we aid the members of the critical infrastructure with, uh, now I say some of their cybersecurity needs. Uh, I say some because I think a lot of people don't realize how diverse the uh, landscape is from a cyber point of view, but responsibility for managing cybersecurity falls to a number of organizations and departments within the federal government. And I can't really talk about cybersecurity in the federal government without mentioning our friends at the Communications Security Establishment, CSE for short who stood up last year, or sorry, I guess it was 2018, the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity. Uh, again, this is supposed to be a one-stop shop for cybersecurity needs within the government of Canada. And this is also complemented by the National Cybercrime Coordination Centre, NC3 for short. Um, this was stood up recently by the RCMB, again, to be um, a centralized place for reporting cybercrime. Now, those are probably two of the bigger players in the game right now, uh, with public safety, my organization, offering a number of services uh, such as the ones that my team provide. Uh, again, I, I speak of the larger organizations, but we also have a number of departments that lead initiatives in the other sectors. For example, uh, NRCAN is the lead for the electricity sector. We are the lead on the safety sector. Transport is lead. You've guessed it on the transportation sector. There are, of course, a number of others. I think the takeaway here should be that the responsibility for cybersecurity cyber uh, relies with a number of government-based agencies. And you are with the Critical Infrastructure Directorate. Um, can you talk about the directorate? What, what's your mandate there? Absolutely. So as I mentioned, uh, the overall mandate of public safety, keeping Canadians uh, safe and secure. Uh, within that umbrella, there are a number of um, areas that help uh, deliver on that mandate. I work in the national uh, and cybersecurity branch, and within that, is the directorate called uh, Critical Infrastructure. Again, our mandate is to enhance the resiliency of the critical infrastructure, and we do that through a number of programs. I could probably join on about a lot of services we, we provide, um, but if I look at the specific area you want to talk about today, it's the uh, cybersecurity programs that we deliver uh, within the need to enhance the resilience of the critical infrastructure. So you use the word resiliency. 
Um, do you folks, you know, how do you define resiliency? Can you talk about that for a second? What, what's that all involve? There's probably different ways to uh, define resiliency for sure. If I was to take a, a crack at it, I would say um, it's just ensuring that uh, the systems that we help support um, and the organizations that we support are able to uh, survive some of the threats that we face on a, on a, on a daily basis. So Nate, um, you know, this seems like there's a lot of departments involved, and this is actually uh, very similar to what we saw in the Department of Homeland Security in the United States a few years ago. There was a lot of different pieces of the puzzle in, in different places. They recently reorga- reorganized, uh, put, I think, pretty much everything cybersecurity-wise under CISA, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Should everything be in one place or should it be spread out in you know, the, the places that know certain things best or that, that serve uh, particular verticals? Because you know, to say one size fits all doesn't really fit. I don't know. Um, you know what we see in Canada looks like lots of, of different people contributing you know, one piece or another. And, and what we see in other parts of the world is, is uh, consolidation. So you know, we'll have to see how it, how it uh, continues going forward. But for now, you know, Robert's been explaining the, the Canadian situation. So I guess uh, the next step, step deeper is, is your programs. Can you, can you talk about your programs in more detail? Absolutely. So um, again, I, I think, or maybe not, many of our, your stakeholders may recall the uh, Canadian Cyber Incident Response Center, or CSERC for short. Now, initially, this was public safety's main, outla- uh, main outlet to service the cyber needs of the collaborative structure. But um, uh, we primarily provided event coordination uh, during events. Now, behind this organization, we built, I will call it, a robust unit of uh, operational and policy-based programs to support the need of the federal and then later our national partners. Now, this was this is the operational role of CSERC. Later became absorbed by the new uh, Canadian Center for Cybersecurity under CSC. So what's remained here um, underneath, underneath the public safety flag was the policy area and the programs area. Uh, as I mentioned before, my concentration is on the programs area. Um, and of course, uh, we have an ever-growing um, ICS program here as well. Now, if I had to group, I would say we've got a number of things going on, but I would say uh, we've got probably four main areas that I could, I could talk to you about today. First one would be the ongoing technical awareness sessions that we do. Um, we also have recently stood up uh, an increasingly popular uh, ICS webinar series. We've got, like many other organizations, a community sharing portal as well. And last but certainly not least is our, uh, is our annual uh, cybersecurity symposium. So you've listed four areas, four, four kinds of programs that you have. Um, the first one you said was awareness, yet you know, I would have thought that the cyber symposium and the, the webinars are part of awareness, but you've listed it separately. Can you talk about what, what is awareness as separate from these other programs? Again, I think it's um, maybe it's just how we define what uh, an awareness program is. So um, we have to call it the technical awareness session. It's basically something that we hold annually between four or five times across the country. And the objective of these sessions is to provide, it's a one-day session, and we normally do two in succession. And the idea is that we go over the basics of what it means to operate in the cybersecurity industrial space. So some of the things we cover, we review uh, recent attacks, we expose participants to a number of tools and techniques, and we primarily focus on the open source stuff. 
uh, again, to better, uh, basically better defend their systems. Uh, we expose people to various platforms such as Kali and Metasploit, the powers of those tools. Uh, and we combine just a lot of hands-on opportunities to apply in practice, so in a classroom with your own dedicated computer, uh, what the participants are exposed to. And again, the, the end goal here is to show, now I'll call them students, but we can call them participants, as to what they may face in their daily operations, and in general, I guess, is to raise their level of cybersecurity awareness in the, uh, in the industrial cyberspace. Now, we deliver these sessions with the help of our, our in-house technical uh, laboratory resources, um, and we've got a number of specific ICS components. You know, we've got PLCs and HMIs and other various components. Um, and we also deliver this content. It's a pretty unique partnership, so we use our own uh, instructors and experts in-house, but we also use uh, some volunteers from the community as well. Uh, and it's a great area where public and private sector come together for the common good. You know, Andrew, if you've ever taken any professional cybersecurity training, this is the same thing. The exception here is that uh, we do this for free. Uh, basically, all you have to do is, is get there. Now, the only re requirement we say, uh, if you want to participate in the training, um, is you need to be a member of the Krill infrastructure in some way. That can certainly be a, a, a diverse uh, uh, requirement. But again, that's uh, again our, our objective is to train um, Canadians to better better secure their system. Our ideal target market here is probably the owners and operators, or the people who are charged with running the systems that, you know, allow our nation to focus, if that makes sense. Briefly, Andrew, Robert mentioned a couple of names, Kali Metasploit. Could you tell me what those are? Sure. Um, Kali Linux is a Linux distro, a distribution. It's like a, a CD image or, a, you know, you can, you can boot from a, a USB stick. You boot into Linux and it's got a lot of tools for penetration testing. It's a penetration testing toolkit, open source. Uh, you can download it for free. Uh, the thing is constantly updated. So you, you kind of almost always want to download the very latest bit with all the latest exploits in it. Metasploit is one of the tools, an open source tool that is in the Kali Linux distribution, or you can get it, uh, you know, sort of standalone in, in lots of other places. It is a, a sophisticated, uh, what's the right word, uh, framework for uh, penetration testing. You know, I, I took training on Metasploit. Actually, I took the, the uh, I took it from the DHS. I took it from Canada Public Safety. Um, and, you know, you, you select your target, you select the exploit. You would like to see if the target, you know, can, can be compromised using, uh, you know, vulnerability number 75. And then if it can be compromised and it's a remote code execution exploit, it says, well, which code would you like to run? What would you like to do to this target? It's, it's depressing how easy it is to use. I mean, it, it, it does take a little getting used to, but once you're, once you're used to it, uh, it's, it's just nasty. And the clear impression that, that I have is that this is nothing compared to what the pros are, are using when they're coming against us. So um, that's the long story. It's there, you know, there, there are tool, two tools in the, the penetration testers toolbox. My other question about what you just discussed with, with Robert is that you guys were talking about awareness, yet it sounded like he was sort of describing a, a training program. What's, what's the deal with that? You know, I had that conversation on the side with Robert. Um, the, you know, his division, Public Safety Canada and, and the Critical Infrastructure Directorate, they do not have a mandate 
to do training. Uh, so, you know, if they had a mandate to do training, they'd ask, you know, what kind of training does the community need? Um, let's put together 75 training programs and offer them all, you know, in competition with, I don't know, post-secondary institutions. This is not their job. Um, what, what he explained is that their job is raising awareness of the problem and of some of the tools that are available and some of the solutions that are available. And the way they've decided to do this is to offer one or maybe it's two now two different courses. I think they, they're either four hours or eight hours long. And you learn how to use these very powerful tools. And the clear message, you know, clear impression I came away with from, from attending one of these was, oh, shoot. And, you know, the, you come away with a, a much deeper understanding of what's possible and of the imperative to put you know, some really robust protections in place against this. So it is training, but it's not that they have a mandate to produce lots and lots of training. It's training in order to raise awareness so that people start taking steps towards a solution. And, and if I may, um, you know, I am not an owner and an operator. And yet I was allowed to take the training. In fact, at the Department of Homeland Security, um, you know, I'm not an American citizen. Yet I was allowed to take their training. Both of these programs are open to a wider community than just critical infrastructure owners and operators. Um, there's an application process you go through, give them your reasons for wanting to attend, and if they can, find an opportunity for you to attend. They, they, they will. They will prioritize owners and operators, but you know they have more capacity than just owners and operators. So for example, with Public Safety Canada, um, I said, look, I am trying to put together uh, course content for a, a post-secondary uh, program. This was a, a graduate course at Michigan Technological University. Um, I, I was using that course content to produce my second book, uh, you know, a book that's now available and you know, lots of people in Canada are using. Um, and so I asked, can I attend your training and see your approach to it and compare that with what I was thinking and just you know, get some ideas? And they said, yeah. And they found an opportunity where I could attend and, you know, they had a spare slot in one of their programs and, and they slotted me in. So if you, if you want this opportunity for awareness and training, um, apply and, you know, they, they have their priorities, but, you know, mere mortals like me can get in and I suggest other listeners as well. So number two on your list was webinars. Can you talk about, about the webinars and, and how have they been received? Yeah, absolutely. No, I won't spend too much time on this because, again, I think I think all your people have been exposed to a, a webinar before. Again, so we, we we work closely with the community at times, and we what we find is there's a, it's basically a great wealth of knowledge that we want to make accessible to as many people as we can. Uh, we started hosting these, I think, early last year, uh, and they were so successful. Starting this fall, we decided to make it a full-time program. Now, I know you were one of our first guests, uh, and we've only continued to build on that success as we move forward. Uh, overall, these are very well received, and uh, what we're trying to not be is just another webinar. Uh, for that reason, we uh, vet this uh, the webinars that or the webinar opportunities that come across to us through our ICS advisory committee. Uh, and again, we have a pretty formalized submission and review process where we make sure we select the most relevant target or topic based on the uh, community need. Overall, I'm very happy with this offering. Um, and they've been, for the most part, very well, uh, very well received. Okay, Andrew, you were one of their first guests. Tell me what the webinar was like. 
Well, the uh, the webinar was was technically limited to I think 120 or 160 participants, and they basically sold out. They they had more people register than they could accommodate. So there's there's enormous interest. Um, and you know another way that I gauge the the interest in terms of the audience is at the end of the of the session. Are there any questions? And the questions and you know the question and answer period just went on until we we ran out of time and you know i think we may even went out went over five or ten minutes so again you know there's there's an indication that there's enormous interest and you know they've been coming out with another webinar every couple of months or you know certainly one a quarter since and they've all been you know high quality speakers to to their credit and to my knowledge have all been you know completely subscribed so if if you want to participate in one of these things you gotta you gotta sign up early um you know, I'll mention details on the end, but um, basically, uh, these folks have only one mailing list, and it is the symposium announcement mailing list. So, if you want to get um, announcements of the webinars, you've got to get on their symposium announcement mailing list. And and you know, there's information on the the web page. You you send them email and ask to be added to the list. It's uh, it's not a button you press. And you've got a a, a portal. Um, how does one how does one get access to the portal and and what kind of of information is available there? Uh, absolutely, I think it's like any other organization. We have a community uh, portal for vetted members. Um, uh, to get access, the easiest way is to probably get in touch with uh, with uh, myself um, or our team. Again, the easiest way to find us is if, if you Google uh, public safety and ICS, you'll find the uh, entry page into the team. So. Um, that's probably the best way to get access to it. In the end, we, we, what we really wanted was a place to store the annual content from the symposium, webinar sessions, basically any uh, events related to the, uh, to the community. Uh, some of these features are focused um, with the main list, uh, being, again, a place to store information so that people who are un unable to attend any of our events can still access the, uh, uh, the material. But again, you know, I, I think you'll probably agree, it's always good to read a PowerPoint. What we really want to push is for people to show up um, and attend uh, these sessions that we hold literally across the country every year because it's, it's certainly more engaging and impression building to uh, take in these events uh, in, uh, in person. But again, in a pinch, it's a great resource. Uh, but again, work is ongoing in this domain as well. And uh, your your fourth topic was the cybersecurity symposium. How's that going uh, go, going forward? What what is the symposium, and, and and what's the future of it look like? I know we're we're leaving that last on the list, but it's certainly not the um, um, not the least important. I think I would call this uh, probably our flagship program right now. Um, and you folks have always been um, a big supporter for it. I think as long as at least I've been involved in uh, running them, but. You mentioned they've been happening for a while. We actually started these back in 2009. I kind of like to call this version uh, 1.0. Um, you know, in its earliest form, it was just a gathering, 40 or so professionals who basically had an interest in ICS uh, security. I wasn't part of it back then, but uh, I've since been working over the past number of years uh, to try and increase what we bring to the community here in Canada. Um, I, I like to say it's a pretty slick offering right now, and I, I would agree it kind of or it kind of rivals what you would actually have to pay a considerable amount of money to attend elsewhere. Uh, the symposium, you know, it's a similar model, model to what people are more than likely familiar with. Uh, it's two full days of lectures. Uh, we've got multiple streams, discussions, uh, demos, panel discussions, always my personal favorite. 
Um, and you know the standard draws. Um, in addition to the actual lecture-based series, we normally book in uh, bookend two days of the technical awareness sessions I spoke about earlier. Um, so the form that you're probably familiar with now, I, I would call this uh, 2.0 uh, because it's uh, a good example of how it's uh, evolved over the years. Uh, for this year, I like to say we're moving into 3.0. We actually have a full week reserve for Toronto 2020. Uh, we're still going to have the lectures. We're still going to have the awareness sessions. But for this event, we're going to be offering something we call the ICS Forum for Management. That's just something new this year. The idea being the development of a more senior level focused uh, sessions that are designed to, again, raise awareness of the importance and the complexity of uh, securing the industrial console, control space as it relates to cyber. Um, if we successfully trial and deploy this for Toronto, the idea is we're going to add this offering to the more frequently uh, deployed uh, training and awareness sessions. And then we're going to offer this um, as we move around the country uh, when we offer this program. So what we did a couple years ago, we stood back and we said, you know, where strategically do we want to see this fall in the sometimes sea of cybersecurity conferences we see happen across, uh, across each calendar year? Um, I like the end of May because there wasn't a whole lot of uh, competition at that time. Um, just after, uh, you know, right around spring, just before summer. So what we started to do strategically is move the offerings uh, closer into uh, the May timeframe. We started to have it in uh, October, and then I think we had one in February, and then we finally ended up in March. Now, the idea is here is that um, people can plan annually to normally in the last week of May, uh, hopefully travel and attend the, uh, the ICS symposium. One of the the observations I wanted to make as, as someone who's attended a lot of the, the DHS, ICS, JWG events and the, you know, as many as I could manage of the, uh, the, the Public Safety Canada Symposia as well. Um, and it's an observation on attendance. Um, the United States has roughly 10 times the population of Canada. At the ICS, JWG events, they occur now twice a year. And I think you know, if at a very, if they're lucky, they get 400 people, you know, it might've been 300 at the last event, but it happens twice a year. So do the numbers, let's say it's 400 twice a year, you know, in the most generous world, it's 800 people attend uh, per year, these events. In Canada, um, with one-tenth the population, uh, it was 200 people at the last event, and I think they're targeting 300 people at this event. So it seems that, uh, you know, per capita, there is quite a bit more interest in this topic in Canada than in the United States, if, if this attendance means anything. So why is that? Is it because the Canadian events have Tim Hortons donuts? <laughs> yes, well, they do have Tim Hortons nearby. There's Tim Hortons everywhere in Canada. Um, I can only speculate. I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't have a clear answer. The Canadian... The, you know, the stereotype of, of, you know, comparing the average Canadian to the average American, the stereotype is that Canadians are, well, you know, more polite and more cautious. And so, you know, the caution thing might actually be reflected here. It, it might just be that there's uh, a stronger interest in this in Canada because of the, you know, the stereotype, because we're more cautious, because we're more concerned about, you know, doing the right thing, whatever the right thing is. But, you know, that's guesswork. Well, it's certainly an attractive proposition. It's, you know, Toronto's easy to get to, and uh, 
the the symposium is free you get a lot of value for free um, can you talk about about who's welcome there I mean uh, clearly your mandate is is uh, you know Canadian critical infrastructure but um, you know if uh, if our neighbors to the south would like to come by or people from overseas from I don't know Germany or India to uh, have a look at how are things done in Canada? Uh, you know, are there lessons they can take away? Um, are, are, are those kinds of visitors welcome at this event as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, uh, I would say our, our, our primary focus is, uh, is uh, given priority to the uh, members of the Canadian Criminal Infrastructure. But again, as I mentioned before, I think we've all got a role to play in ICS uh, security in general. Um, we've uh, talked about, and I'm certainly open for exploring more of a global view of, um, of how we uh, do the work that, that we do. Again, there's my organization and there's the CISA organization to our south, but I mean, my assumption is that there are a number of similar organizations across the, across the globe that are facing some of the same issues that we face as a, um, as a, uh, as a community. Um, so I'm, I guess to circle back to the original question, um, again, our, our focus is gonna be on training the, uh, uh, the Canadian um, uh, industrial base, but I'm certainly open to any and all suggestions on um, um, people who want to come and attend, and uh, specifically people who can provide a more, um, I don't want to say non-Canadian, but a more global point of view on how they approach uh, cybersecurity within their uh, uh, within their organization. And you know what, we've done this in the past, we've had, um, again, I know I, I pushed the Canadian content. We obviously have a very close relationship with our partners to the south, uh, and we've had uh, global speakers uh, at some of our past events, and it's always well received. So Robert mentioned there that non-Canadians can attend this event. What about non-ICS professionals like podcasters? Um, we would, we would, uh, I would argue for an, for a, a strong exception for you, but. Uh, you know, to the to the more general question, I've been to a number of the Canadian events, and we do see, um, you know, non Canadians at the event routinely. So, uh, if you know, if our listeners would like to attend and get the Canadian perspective on cybersecurity, uh, you know, go to the website, uh, put in your attendance request. Everyone has to request. Even me, I have to request attendance, and I get a confirmation afterwards. Um, and you know, if you would like to to uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know, throw something in for good measure, throw in a speaking proposal. If you're coming from abroad, talk about managing cybersecurity in a global organization if you're responsible for multiple countries. Um, you know, if you are coming from a specific, uh, you know, part of the world, uh, propose a speaking topic saying, you know, here's what we're doing and sort of give some background on, on what cybersecurity likes in another part of the, uh, sorry, what, what cybersecurity is like in another part of the world. Um, and, and this is, is certainly going to give uh, your, your request to attend a higher priority. So, um, you know, we, like I said, we do see uh, non-Canadians there routinely. Um, you know, clearly, you know, this is a Canadian government organization. They have to have Canadians as a priority, but part of uh, bringing Canadians up to date is an opportunity to mix with other people from other parts of the world and get some cross-fertilization going. So the symposium's, uh, you know, strategic to, to your directorate going forward. Um, can you talk about how it's been received? What kind of feedback are you getting? It's a great question, and um, we take um, uh, feedback uh, 
fairly we have a fairly good approach to it, uh, I believe. Here um, again, we we provide the uh, assessment questionnaires after uh, well during each of the uh, conference sessions. Um, after the training awareness sessions, we provide assessment um, uh, uh, surveys as well. And even after the webinars, we have uh, we have uh, assessment surveys. The whole idea is that. How do we make the next offering of what we're doing better for the uh, for the community? And I have to say, we a lot of the initiatives that you see in place now, and how we're uh, developing and advancing some of these these ideas. Uh, a lot of these came from some of the suggestions that we've uh, taken in after each each of the events. Uh, we hold what we like to call an after action uh, session. Immediately following each event, we table out everything that worked and didn't work, um, and we certainly troll. A lot of new ideas on the board as well. We then take those and honestly, if it's a good idea, we put it in action and we try it out during the uh, during the uh, next event. I would say each event is better than the one before it because we have such an integration of feedback from the uh, from the uh, community and changing as we go uh, how we offer each of these um, uh, each of these programs. Probably a good example of this is um, the format in which we deliver the uh, symposium. Initially, it was a uh, a one-day event, and we had um, we just had session after session. What we found uh, through feedback from the community is that uh, they wanted to kind of modularize how we presented the information. So what we started doing, I believe, two years ago, is we now have a more technical-focused stream and a more strategic slash management stream. And we found uh, people could better organize their uh, attendance, and if they traveled in tandem or with multiple people. They could send the right people into the stream to make sure uh, they absorbed uh, all the information that was there to uh, absorb. And I know you folks cooperate closely with the uh, the Department of Homeland Security and, and their initiatives. I mean, I see you at their events. I see them at, at your events. Uh, can you talk about that that cooperation? You know, for example, um, you know, there's I, I've heard speculation that one of these years we might see one of these events co-located. What what kind of cooperation do you have do you have going there? Yeah, it's a great, uh, great observation. Uh, again, I, I think it goes without saying that we certainly work closely with our, our, our U.S. counterparts, uh, DHS, ICS, CERT, or in its current form of uh, CISA. Um, I would say they probably stand as the leader in uh, a national approach to ICS engagement. Um, um, again, I know it's, they've got a new name, but it's literally still the same great uh, bunch of folks with the same. Uh, um, advanced level of expertise in this uh, project space. Like you said, we spoke, we've been to their events, they've come to ours. Um, we share border, we share a lot of the uh, similar infrastructure, so it goes to say that uh, we have a close working uh, uh, working relationship. A lot of our core business models were based on the uh, ICS uh, JWD, uh, JWG approach to uh, engagement uh, and our joint work, especially over the past couple of years, I think has only improved how we both uh, deliver on our, our annual events. Uh, but you know what? I, I really like that idea of a, of a, of a, of a joint um, um, ICS event. Again, our infrastructure is certainly similar enough. We, there would certainly be value for it. I know we've had some uh, preliminary discussions, but nothing concrete um, as of yet as to when that would uh, when that would or could be. Um, but you know, I, I, I like to add here that certainly we've got a great relationship with the uh, with the U.S., but we've also got um, some great relationship with uh, some of our allied partners as well. You know, there's the traditional partners such as the uh, UK and Australia. We've had some great conversations and sharing initiatives with them. 
Um, but we're also having some of those discussions with, uh, with our European partners. Uh, Germany certainly stands out uh, in that area. You know, in the end, the infrastructure that powers our nations, it's at times different, but it's, it's more times very similar. And I would say in any approach to uh, a national approach to uh, ICS security, there's, uh, there's certainly strength in numbers. I've heard uh, speculation about a, the possibility of, you know, someday there being a, a joint event between the DHS ICS JWG and Canada Public Safety's ICS Symposium. Um, and, you know, the, the speculation would, would center on like a, a community on the border, like the, the Detroit-Windsor uh, border, um, where it, it, it's kind of easy to, to uh, you know, say there's, there's two sides to the, to the community, to the partnership happening. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as Robert said, I, I've heard nothing concrete in that regard. But, you know, I think the, the idea has merit. Yeah, I, I think the idea does have merit, and to have it on sort of the border would make sense. How would you have a similar joint event with, say, Australia? Yeah, um, that would be a bigger challenge. So those are the four programs. Is there anything else you folks are doing? I mean, uh, you know, I'm familiar with the, the ICS CERT in the United States. They do risk assessments. They do incident response. They have flyaway teams. Um are you involved in activities like this as well? Specifically, we're not really in the business of doing advisories, and we don't have the uh, capacity to do uh, flyaway teams. Again, from an incident response point of view, uh, the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity is probably the best bet. But I think we do have another service that could be of interest to uh, um, uh, the community as well. Uh, I've talked about the ICS offerings, but... Um, one of the services that we provide is a very robust physical assessment package. Uh, this is an intensive multiple-day assessment where we evaluate the physical security posture of a client. Uh, this is a voluntary assessment, and, you know, if I had to sum it up, I would call it a guns, guards, and gates assessment of how a facility uh, is laid out. Uh, this program is known as the Regional Resiliency Assessment Program, or RRAP for short, and it's a combination of uh, physical inspection, uh, uh geographical mapping of the area, and uh, interview-focused uh, questionnaires with, with uh, members of our trained staff here. Now, that's the physical side. From a cyber point of view, this assessment is complemented by the Canadian Cyber Resiliency Review, or the CCRR. Again, it's another uh, voluntary assessment program where we dive deeper into the cyber side of the operations. It's not what I would call a deep technical dive. Um, for example, we don't go into mapping out say, how your network is configured. It's more of an exploration as to the type of cybersecurity program an organization has in place. It covers areas like uh, situational awareness, asset management, change management, you know, various other domains that have their roots in the NIST cybersecurity framework. This is more of an interview-based assessment where we'll sit with key members of an organization and review their cybersecurity posture. Again, we've, we've talked about the free offerings that we do. I'll add that both of these services are free of charge. Your only commitment is the time, with all the results and findings being the sole property of the client. Again, another great department that, or another great product that the department offers for the benefit of the community. If you, if you want more information, the easiest way to find it is if you Google RRAP and public safety, you'll find the uh, linkages into uh, the team that's responsible for that. He talked about the, uh, the cyber risk assessment. Uh, I mean, the, the, the phys he talked about the physical risk assessment as well, and, you know, I guess... I'll second that. There is no such thing as 
cybersecurity uh, unless there's physical security. If if any any random person can walk up to, a, you know, uh, part of the plant and and plug a laptop in and start doing stuff, um, you know, you you got to be able to prevent that. So physical reviews make make perfect sense. Um, he talked about the cyber reviews. He talked about them being sort of NIST framework ba- based. He talked about them, you know, being sort of high level. Um, it kind of makes sense if you if you look at the NIST framework. What is the framework? It's a checklist. It talks about uh, five kinds of things that every security program has to have. You know, they call them identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. Identify is the program. It's the documentation. It's responsibilities. It's people assignments. It's, you know, inventory. You, you can't protect what you don't know you have. Uh, you know, protect is, is obviously the, the security controls, uh, permissions, firewalls, gateways, um, you know, physical separation, logical separation, um, usernames and passwords. Detect is monitoring. Respond is when the monitoring discovers something, you got to be able to get in there and, and, you know, do something about it. And recover is okay. There was damage done. Fix all that. Get back online. Resilience. Come back. So, it you know the sense I had from his his uh, description is that um, he's looking at the you know the that that assessment that level of assessment is looking at the entire program and asking have you got the bases covered? Are there holes in the program where you know you've missed something? Um, so it it's uh, again it sounds useful. It's free. Um, and it's it's very high level. They're not going to be going in there and and you know opening your your server cabinets and and uh, counting cables and and you know poking at things. Thank you, Robert. We we like to leave our guests with the last word. Is there a thought you'd like to leave with our listeners? I kind of mentioned this before. Um, is I encourage people to find out what resources are available to help them uh, with their cybersecurity awareness needs. Uh, honestly, there there are lots out there. Uh, I've mentioned the work of our partners, uh, and I've spoken here today of what public safety and my teams uh, bring to the table, but certainly with regards to industrial cybersecurity, we're probably one of your better contacts, but as I said, as I said at the beginning, you know, we're just one spoke in a very large wheel. Um, our presence is certainly increasing. We're onlining a, a number of new programs that we're doing for the stakeholders. But again, it always amazes me when I go to one of our symposiums and when I ask that question, is this your first time here? It's, it's evident to me we still have some work to do. Um, for an event in Toronto in May, as I mentioned, we're aiming to have 300 people in attendance. This is going to be, I think, our biggest endeavor to date. Uh, registration's open. We're accepting calls for professionals uh, to come and share what they feel is important to the community. You know, I think from a, a Canadian point of view, this is probably one of the de facto events in this area. We encourage you to come out, participate, and, you know, get involved. Um, I often hear talk about the coming issues related to ensuring that, you know, we have the workforce of the future to keep these systems going. Personally, I have to say it always makes me scratch my head. As a community, maybe more so for your audience as practitioners of the trade, I feel the work that we actually, you know, what we do collectively, it makes it different to the millions of people every day. Without the upkeep and protection of these systems, you know, a nation just doesn't function. From the power in our grids, the water in our pipes, even the machines that get us to where we need to go, without them, uh, we'd certainly be in a hard state. For me, if that's not motivation to get involved, then I don't know what is. So I, I, I leave you with this. If you haven't done so, look us up on the web, get in touch with the team, and we'll get you connected to this uh, ever-growing community. 
You know, I want to thank you, Andrew, for taking the time and for Waterfall for your continued support and promotion of what we do, you know, because it's relationships like this where we continue to uh, evolve and grow. Um, again, if you, if you search for ICS and public safety, my team should be your first hit. And we're looking forward to seeing you uh, and hopefully a few new faces in Toronto this May. Andrew, how about a last word from you? Well, I agree completely with Robert that, you know, this is work that needs doing. And uh, I encourage everyone to to check out the symposium. It's free of charge. Um, it's, you know, it's great content in, in my experience. Um, and to sort of second his... Uh, his instructions as to how to get connected. Um, there's two ways, in sort of the, to do it. Both of them mean going to his webpage. So go to Google, enter Public Safety Canada ICS Symposium, and you you know the when I do it, the the top hit is his. You go to the website, scroll to the bottom of that webpage, and there is a link on the bottom of the of the page that says uh, contact us. Click on that, send them an email, and get onto their their announcements list. Alternately, if you can attend the uh, the Toronto uh, event, just click on you know register for the the Toronto event, and uh, you will automatically be be added to the the mailing list. That's the mailing list where all the announcements comes out. All right, now before we go, Andrew, we're introducing an entirely new segment of our podcast. You know, since the beginning, we've always wanted to hear from the folks who listen to this show because we know that many of you guys are yourselves established thinkers in the industry. And, you know, now that our listenership has increased some in the past few months, we're starting an official listener mail segment. Absolutely. So if you have comments on Robert's, uh, you know, description of the, the free physical or, or cybersecurity assessments, the attack training sessions for building awareness, the, uh, the annual symposium, um, you know, please send them to me, andrew.ginter at waterfall-security.com, you know, first name dot last at waterfall-security. Um, send them to me. Um, if you've got questions, that you'd like to follow up with Robert, you know, send them to me. You know, if I need to reach out to Robert and ask him the questions, I can do that. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and, and you know, get get your take on things and uh, bring it to the, the the next episode and and you know, give people some insight into what you know you, the experts in the audience, are are thinking. And I just add that as as somebody who's outside of the industry. There's no such thing as dumb questions here. If anything that Robert mentioned or that we or Andrew mentioned on the show confused you, uh, feel free to send in your questions and we'll be happy to answer them. And if I may add, uh, you know, Nate, don't sell yourself short. Um, I have had feedback on the podcast generally at, you know, uh, conferences and such. The feedback has always been very positive about your participation. Uh, the, the, the kinds of... Uh, interaction that your questions trigger are interactions that I've had people describe to me as as uh, as, val- as a valuable part of the of the podcast. So again, you know, if listeners want to ask anything, go for it. That'll just about do it then. Thanks to Robert Pitcher for speaking with you, Andrew, and thank you, Andrew, for speaking with me. Always a pleasure, Nate. Thank you, and uh, we'll catch you next time. This has been the Industrial Security Podcast. Thanks to everybody who's listening. Thank you.